Who is this? I don't remember my name. Why not? It's the first thing you lose. First thing you lose when? You know when. Did the phone ring for you? Why are you calling me? Your arm is a mint. You almost had me. I'm glad it's you. Hello? Bruce? Bruce? podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every single week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here, but said he needed to finish blowing up some balloons. Maybe he's throwing a party later or something. I I don't know. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back to a brand new year here at the Fear of God podcast. For our first series of each year, we cover films from the previous year's slate of horror releases, and 2023 is no different. What is different is today we'll not only be covering a 2022 film, but I am also joined right now by new friend of the fog, author, professor, musician, theologian, horror fan, whose book, Lurking Under the Surface, Horror, Religion, and the Questions That Haunt Us, might as well be the companion text to the Fear of God podcast. Uh, It is available for your reading pleasure at all outlets. Friends and foggers, allow me to welcome to the show for the first time, but highly unlikely to be the last, Brandon Grafius. Brandon, thank you for being here, sir. Oh, Nathan, thank you so much for having me on here. Absolutely. It is. uh, I'm I'm looking forward to our conversation here. So uh, listeners today, Brandon will be joining us for not only our patron segment, where we will tease our thoughts on the recent release Knock at the Cabin. After that patron segment, we will then discuss uh, Brandon's career a little bit and his book lurking under the surface, as just mentioned, and then we will answer the phone to Scott Derrickson's directed and co-written adaptation of Uncle Stevie's son, Joe Hill's short story, The Black Phone. But before we say, Jesus, what the f***? Permit me to remind you, listeners, that here at The Fear of God, we explore. (laughs) We don't explain, except for right now. (laughs) Except for right now, 
when I try to ignore my co-hosts laughing, uh, when I explain that you can find not only your hosts and other foggy peers in our Fear of God Facebook group, but any and every other fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com, such as how to support us on Patreon, as well as essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise, <laughs> read! You're here! I, I, I have nothing to offer. That is yeah. better than that glorious callback to the film at present. That's yeah. that's got to be. I will we'll get into it when we get into specifics. But that might be my favorite moment from any film, horror or otherwise, from last year. I I laughed uproariously and have shared it with my wife. Where I said, like, man, is there a more appropriate uh, uh, just call out a cry from the heart, like you know, yeah. Psalm one hundred and fifty one, uh, right there. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's right like why do we read? Why do we need the full film feature film Robert Duvall's The Apostle? Like it's encapsulated right there in <laughs> right Gwen, there. Oh my gosh! Well, read, so, Brandon is here. Brandon, Brandon, is here. it's so nice to meet you. So so glad to have you on. We're we're excited about this. This is going to be fun. So glad to be on, Reed. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. So awesome. real quick, a little business time uh, business for our listeners. Time. We we're going to knock a couple of these, uh, check a couple of these boxes real quick. Um, we've been warning you listeners, and now it is time. Reed, I actually looked at the calendar this time. Uh, so yeah, it's like next. The Sunday after this episode releases, mm-hmm. yeah. which is February 26th at 3 p.m., we will host our very first Fear of God patron-only happy hour horror hangout. That mm-hmm. is yeah. Mouthful. Uh this should be, be noted, mm. 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Indeed, 3 p.m. Yes. Eastern Standard Time. I just couldn't get past it without you noting something there. So, But, but it's appreciated uh, nonetheless. Um, yes, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, we will talk movies. We'll play the question game, perhaps. We'll discuss watches. We'll hang out. It's going to be a 45-minute or so Zoom session that we're going to try to start doing uh, once a month-ish. Um, to get the Zoom invite going out the day before, all you have to do is be a patron at any level. So spend your five bucks and come hang out with your fellow foggers. Also, Riri, I don't know if you're keeping uh, keeping track at home, but the foggies are nigh. I know. I'm so excited. So, oh. Brandon, yes. we have our very own award show here at the Pure yeah. of God. We yeah. call it the yeah. Foggies, and it is um, uh, our listeners uh, will nominate and vote on and make selections to award excellence in horror storytelling from the prior year. Last year's best picture winner went to James Wan's Malignant. We had a grand old time discussing that film last year. Who'll take home the the fake trophy this year? I don't know. Um, But I do know that first round voting for the Foggies will only be available to patrons. First round voting will only be available to patrons. If you want to help craft, helped craft, if you would like to help craft the Words final ballot for voting, they are indeed. Uh, that's another reason to join Patreon. Join Patreon. Not only do you get to come to Happy Hour Horror Hangout, but you get to vote for the first round of uh, the Foggies. Final voting will be open to all, but initial voting to secure candidates will only be open to patrons, and those will be going out soon-ish if they haven't already. I love Foggy time. It's oh, it's it's fun. It's fun. We enjoy the Oscars, but of course, the Oscars notoriously do not recognize horror. Rarely, <laughs> almost never. Uh, so, you know, but and you know what doesn't happen at the Foggies? You don't get slapped. Speaking of Patreon, Reed and Brandon, <laughs> it is time to hop Fair. Fair in point. the patron mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
So about this episode. So we're going to talk momentarily about the black phone. Now that we're out of this patron segment, uh, uh, non-patrons, you know, if you want a little taste of what's to come in the knock at the cabin, a future Shyamalan series, maybe called good night Shyamalan, maybe no Shyamalan, maybe called Shyamalan. Let's do this, you know, whatever, uh, check out the patron segment. Um, but before we get to black phone, we want to re-welcome, learn a little bit more about our guest, the multi-hyphenate Brandon Grafius. Brandon, you have a lot going on, my friend. Uh, just a quick rundown. Uh, Brandon is Associate Professor of Biblical Studies at Ecumenical Theological Seminary in Detroit. In addition to lurking under the surface, which we'll primarily be referencing here, and, and I know I've read and Reed's read, earlier books include Reading the Bible with Horror and a volume on the movie The Witch. We're big Eggers fans around here. Um, you've also published works in journals such as Currents in Biblical Research, Postscript, and Horror Studies. Uh, in addition, now, <laughs> I almost dis- I almost brushed past this but it's me uh in addition has essays and volumes on trump era horror that's a really interesting way to uh couch that but hey you know, the, the, the book was called fits. make america hate again Ooh. <laughs> trump era Ooh. horror and the politics of fear wow i want well, to read that that'll be our next book club our next fog book club the maha it's, movement um it's outlet, so it's expensive but it's, it's okay i noticed that i was like i'm gonna go read to, oh okay it's 100 bucks for the uh you know printed <laughs> printed version academic, academic books it's all good yeah, in addition to your academic work uh brandon is also a, a musician performing widely throughout michigan and your most recent album highways and Backroads," was released in 2018 so you got a lot going for you so my question out of the gate brandon from one working dad uh who thinks about media and faith and horror a lot to another is can i buy some of your time like Uh, do you (laughs) is that it's not for sale because you got a lot going on i'm like how does he do it how does he do it um but seriously can you uh you know one i'd love for you to touch on any of that stuff but specifically you know we traffic at what we thought was a relatively barren intersection of faith and fear but you know every now and then we find fellow uh sojourners along the way who are you know zombified and and uh vampire bit tell us about the path that led you to kind of that place where you know your 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 feet are firmly planted in the uh fields of theological academia and also you know just horror nerd uh, how, how do yeah track a little bit of that for us well a lot of it was was accidental that i kind of stumbled into those things um i've always been a horror fan i talk about lurking in lurking under the surface scooby-doo being my gateway drug um something wicked this way comes the the jack mm-hmm. film was another early influence so and and I, I feel like i've talked to so many people that love horror and that it happened when they were when they were young when they were kids i don't know many people who have found horror in their adulthood. Um, mm. I think for most horror fans, it's something you get early on and it, it worms its way in deep. So I've always kept that as kind of this guilty pleasure of for, my, for myself. I remember being in graduate school. I was, uh, my, my first master's was in poetry at UC Davis. And I was uh, l- living in an apartment, working on poetry, going to classes, and then renting all the Friday the 13th movies in, in the, the mm-hmm. evening stuff like that. So I, I always kept that kind of separate though. Um, and especially later on in my twenties, as I started kind of thinking about what else I might, might want to do and feeling the, 
feeling drawn to, to studying the Bible in a deeper way. Um, I, I finished my MDiv, um, did my PhD at Chicago Theological Seminary. And I think I was lucky enough that I, I happened to um, enter a PhD program in one of probably just a handful of seminaries around the country that would let me do this kind of odd thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I was looking around for what to do my dissertation on. Um, and I'm, I'm doing some reading. I was interested in, in how metaphors get used. I'm interested in language. I'm interested in that those ways that that stories develop. Um, and I, for some reason, happened to be doing some reading in the book of Numbers and stumbled upon Numbers 25. And I don't think I'd ever really paid attention to it before. That's the story where the Israelites are wandering around in the desert and they start messing around with the foreign women. <laughs> foreign women are always causing problems in the Hebrew Bible. That's... Uh, God tells them to knock it off. But then one of the Israelite men brings a Midianite woman into the tent and it's not explicit what's happening in the Hebrew Bible, but later tradition has come up with all sorts of ideas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Moses doesn't know what to do. He's just kind of kind of stunned. So, well, well, I don't know. Uh, but Phineas, the priest, who is um, Aaron's son, so Moses's grandson, uh, picks up a spear and skewers them both. Um, mm. And my, as as I read this, I'm thinking it's like Michael Myers in Halloween Six. Or I, I was thinking uh, what I thought was uh, Jason in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Um, okay, see, <laughs> in, in this is why you're here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, I've seen that death scene before, and then <laughs> I, I'm big, a big enough horror nerd that I was able to connect for for a while. I worked in a um, DVD distribution center, and I was mm. writing a database. Um, so I had, I worked with a bunch of movie nerds, and a lot of them were horror nerds. So this w- one guy had turned me on to Mario Baba. So I'd seen his movie Bay of Blood. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Early 70s kind of proto slasher. And most of the death scenes in Friday the 13th Part 2 are recreations of the scenes from this movie. Huh. So that happened in Bay of Blood also. That, sorry, sidetrack there. But yeah, sorry. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so that that really got me thinking. And then what's even more horrifying in that in Numbers 25 in the Bible is God's response is, hey, great job, Phineas. You showed great zeal for the Lord um, mm-hmm. by killing people. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just it's really, really appalling. And I, I I think for centuries, people have not known what to do with it or how to read that story or how to. You know, there have been all kinds of interpretations that try to say, well, okay, we're not really saying you should kill people, but you should show great zeal for the Lord. That's our moral <laughs> message from, in this chapter. And I, I think what really clicked is, no, it, you have to read it like a horror story. Horror works differently than a lot of other kinds of narratives. The way it conveys messages, the way it... it um, yeah, the way it helps us think through things is different than than if you're reading something from the book of Proverbs, or if you're reading mm. a sermon or a story in the gospel. So as I started thinking, well, what happens if we read this as if it's a horror story? Mm. Um, so I, I explored that for a long time. That My dissertation ended up being called Reading Phineas, Watching Slashers. Um, That's where, awesome. <laughs> I was proud of the title. <laughs> where I was, was looking at... Um, Kind of taking uh, Robin Wood's um, view of slasher films, arguing that they're kind of reactionary Reagan era artifacts that demonstrate this this really really um, yeah conservative control the return of the patriarchy after the kind of uh, more free more radical movies of the the late sixties and seventies. And I, I see that same, 
<laughs> and I see that same kind of thing happening in in the priestly text that we're concerned about identity, we're concerned about um about the boundaries of our community. And so we have Phineas coming in like the slasher to restore authority. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's also really, really points that, well, Phineas is the hero of that, that story in some ways, but later tradition isn't quite so comfortable with him. You know, there's a reference to him in Psalm 106 and it only talks about his zeal. It doesn't talk about that he killed anybody. Yeah. Um, some of the other, other people like Philo and Josephus, I can see them being uncomfortable with the story as well. Mm-hmm. And when I start looking at, you know, who the heroes of the slasher movies really are, um, we can all name the killers. I don't think many of us know who the final girls are. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that to me is one of the really uncomfortable. Laurie Strode takes movies. great offense at that statement. Right? <laughs> okay, you're, okay, you're right. <laughs> Laurie is an exception. Apologize. <laughs> but no, it, go ahead. But it, really gets at this this am- ambiguous line between who is a hero and who is a villain and how do we as an audience identify and i i think a lot of horror movies asks us to do some really complicated work with who we identify with and how and where we find the morals of the story and yeah. I think there are a lot of things that we can take from that and have them help us with reading these difficult parts of the bible um mm-hmm. i'm not saying that Numbers 25 is a slasher movie, but I'm saying there are a lot of ways that it works in some kinds of similar, yeah, similar means of exploration, similar techniques and similar pulls at our emotions. I think there are all kinds of places in the Bible that have that connection with horror. So I've been really interested in exploring both how the Bible gets used in horror and then what horror can teach us about the Bible. Mm -hmm. I I I think it's it's really wonderful. I have I have two quick thoughts, and then I I'd love to push, promote, dive into lurking under the surface a little bit. the The first thing I want to say is like when you were telling the story about Phineas, the other one that that stands out to me that's a direct uh, relationship with God is the rebellion of Korah, where he's like, okay, they rebelled, and he lets the ground open up and just swallow up like four hundred of them. Where he's just like, yeah, just the ground opens up, and they just like it's very. And that's a direct act of God, not even a and a direct act of God that delineates one group of people from another group of people. Um, really, really fascinating. The other thing I want to highlight, only because and and Brandon, you you won't have known this unless you know you're a significantly more avid listener of our show than than I suspect you are. Uh, last week we released an episode with our friend Charlie Baber, who we talked about the menu, and there was a rich, I found it rich, uh, conversation around whether or not I don't know if you've seen the menu. But whether or not a character in the menu, I'll spare spoilers, is heroic or not. And, you know, we kind of landed that there's there's a little bit of a dual reading that could be had yeah. there. Something that I've become more attuned to is trying a little bit, and I'm guilty of it. I am so lockstep guilty of it. But I'm trying to get better about not using the hero and villain language and more protagonist-antagonist. Because I do think there's something to be said about stories that are wrapped around people that are not admirable stories where the 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 goal of the central character or the goal of the character that we're meant to identify with in that moment that character is not an admirable person we see things like that in you know the the thing that comes to mind immediately is actually tv series succession where the characters in the film or the tv series succession are all pretty horrible people they're all they're all really really terrible but they are undeniably like the heroes of our story, heroes in air quotes, you know, because that's who the story's framed around. 
And I find it fascinating that you that that you make this juxtaposition or this highlight of like, yeah, the really the protagonist of the Friday the 13th films is Jason. Like he's the protagonist. He's the through line of everything. Yeah. Which again, I find really, really compelling. Um, I I think that, of course, I've had a love of horror for all my life and cut my teeth on church pews. So there's always been a dialogue about that. Like, you know, the, the, uh, the interplay between the horrors, the genuine horrors of the Bible when read as their text, you know, like I have thought many, many times that somebody needs to straight up make a Gothic nightmarish horror story about the entire book of judges. Judges is like completely barbaric, completely violent. um, And often, like without a happy ending after what's happened in it. Um, so, but anyway, I, I, I just love what you do. I, I love your thoughts. I'm glad we're getting to know each other. Um, and like I love your book. You're like a brother from another undead mother. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So. When I learned about your podcast, my first thought was, how have we not known about each other before this? I, 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 I'm parallel um, for years here. So, well, yeah. Glad we're you know what? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say for listeners, like longstanding listeners of ours um, already kind of are framed around this mindset. Like I cannot, I know obviously when we have a guest on the show who has written a book, we are going to ask you to check the book out. But listeners, please, oh my God, Lurking Under the Surface is brief. It is accessible. It is somehow still very impressively comprehensive. It touches on a lot of different things in a, again, pretty concise but accessible way that I find profoundly impressive. It doesn't read like a hyper-intellectual sort of exercise in academia, but it is clearly very well-researched. It's very thoughtful. Um, listeners, if you, and I will tell this, like our listeners who, you know, here's what I want you to do, listeners. If you have a friend who you are trying to convince them that you can be an individual who's interested in faith or a person of faith and love horror movies, recommend our show, please. Recommend <laughs> our show. And also, please, you have a new uh, tool in your toolbox, recommend Lurking Under the Surface. It's a wonderful book, uh, slow clap. Fast clap, Brandon. You've done really, really great work here. It's thank you so much. Really outstanding. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I do want to hit a couple of highlights. And Nathan, I don't want to steal all of your thunder, but there's like two talking points I had that I was pretty eager about. Uh, One is super brief. Um, uh, In fact, it's even like prelude to what I was meaning. But you're when you mention something this way comes. Listeners of the show know like something wicked this way comes is like one of my favorite books. I encountered it early. Ray Bradbury, we did a whole uh, uh, sequence of episodes on the show where we read the book like in stages and talked about the book and everything. We didn't read the book on the recording, but we read it as a collective pod community. Um, so that was super, super fun. Um, the, the, I, I don't want to spoil elements of the subjects of your book. It's not really the kind of book you can spoil in the sense that it's, you know, it, it's about this subject that we've been discussing. But I did want to highlight two chapters that I just, again, just kind of want to uh, uh, share some additional applause. Um, I loved, 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 like I would even say got a little emotional at chapter six about being forgotten and being remembered. So um, personal touch on that. I've I've mentioned it kind of in brief passing uh, over time, but uh, degenerative diseases 
loosely run in my family. My grandfather on one side died of lupus. My grandfather on the other side died of Parkinson's. Uh, some members of my family have struggled with dementia and that kind of thing. So I'm a bit sensitive to that subject, but on a more personal level, it's a, an undercurrent of, of fear that I have of what to do if my mind turns on me. And particularly if I begin to forget important, crucial things about who I am. So you're, I found your chapter really, really moving uh, in that sense, uh, specifically like the need for us to be remembered by God and how deep a driver that is, how the language, some of the language of the text of the scriptures kind of toys with, I, I say toys, but like it directly engages that, that concept. Um, and so I did, I just, I, I wanted to say like, I really love that. Before I move on to the next one, I just wanted to know, like, you know, just to just un- un- unpack a little bit of the thoughts around yeah. that, because I love that so much. Preview oh, that for the listeners, you. if you will. Well, it's, it's become more personal for me as well, that chapter in, in particular. <laughs> yeah, um, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's about three, four years ago or so. Wow. And since the book was published, he's been moved into a memory care facility. And Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, mm. it's, it's tough, to, tough to watch. And then also knowing that it's in large, large part hereditary, or at least there's, there's an element of that. So you, you wonder what that, what that means yeah. for us in the future. Well, that, that's yeah. Um, no, and I, I, I've seen that in so many churches too. Um, I've worked with a lot of churches who are, are really struggling. Um, and the thing that, that really, that drives them is that they, this church is the, the repository of their memories, their, their history, their family. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing that, the the thought of that being lost is is almost unbearable. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's frustrating because equally challenging is it's hard to think about how do we how do we change in the ways we need to change and still preserve this this place as this space as as these important memories. And I see a lot of communities who make the decision that we can't change. Um, we would rather yeah. slowly die than have to change. And wow. It's sad. It's also deeply human. Um, that yeah, yeah. A, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I I was trying to to kind of work with all those things in this chapter, and and I see a lot of horror movies and doing that work of helping us think through what it what it means to to try to hold on to those things, what it means to try to forget what you shouldn't forget, what it means to mm-hmm. honestly grapple with with our past and our history. Yeah. No, I. I... I, I did find that very, very moving. I had never, so most of, I would say, of all of the films, your book is laid out with these really helpful, like, previewing recommendations. So, like, hey, before you dive into this chapter, here's two or three films that that would be helpful to check out if you're interested in just sort of walking along this. Uh, there were two in there that I had never seen before. Uh, I had, I'd seen all the rest of them, but I'd never seen Vanishing on 7th Street from that film. So, I'd never seen it. I'm familiar with Brad Anderson's work largely, but had missed that film. Uh, so even though you cite on there that it's not his strongest work, I was curious to check it out after your, <laughs> after yeah, your book. It, it's, it's one of those, like we were talking about with some of Shyamalan's work, mm-hmm. even yeah. when it's problematic, it's still really interesting. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally get it. Um, I, Nathan, I, I feel bad because I'm like dominating with a whole bunch of energy. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to mention, I'm going to, I'm going to mention one not, more thing. And then there's nothing new under the, can I jump in? What was the other movie you haven't seen? Oh, the toll. I had never seen okay, the toll. I wondered. If yeah. That yep. 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 The toll was the <laughs> other one. Uh, I had seen, I, I, I felt a little proud. I mean, like we, we, we joke on the podcast of how I'm like the, the movie guru. We even have a sometimes recurring segment called stump read where people try to like <laughs> try to see it. But, um, 
but I wasn't going to bring no. it up, but I thought it. I don't know. I, I, Brandon I, I, stumped I, I, Reed. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. Cause I had never, I had never <laughs> so, seen you know, You're true. getting the boot, Reed. I'll, there'll always be a place for the every man on the show. So I, my, my job is secure, but Brandon just usurped your role. So it's true. It's true. I, uh, this is my retirement party. Actually. I'm, that's, that's what the balloons were for. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Um, the other thing that I want to mention just briefly, um, the other one that stood out to me, I, I, I sincerely did love every chapter. Uh, but the other one that just kind of shook me and I had to go back and like, you know, highlight some sections and stuff is uh, chapter nine is God good. Um, you know, and the, the wrestling with the concept of a benevolent God with so much pain around us, um, is, is fascinating is, is something that I've found deeply compelling, something that I think horror deals with a lot. Uh, I want to quote your book specifically here that just, I, I wrote this down. We're shaken by how insignificant we are against the immensity of the universe, and we participate in worship to lessen our panic. That's, that's some <laughs> profound and insightful stuff right there, because I do feel like a lot of times, and we've talked about it on the show before, how a lot of times people can sometimes dig into, I don't want to be reductive and I don't want to be diminutive, at least not on purpose, but I do see a lot in my friends and my family, I hear a lot or, or witness a lot elsewhere where people will sometimes dig their heels in on what they call faith. And it resonates with me on just a different version of fear. Like you're just digging your heels in on something else that you're afraid of. And so that, that phrasing, we participate in worship to lessen our panic really did resonate with me as, as particularly insightful to something. Again, it's not true of all expressions of faith, maybe not even true of many of them, but uh, but I do see it. I, I witness that there's people who sometimes dig into almost more of a version of superstition than a rich, vibrant expression of faith, again, to stave away all of the fear, all of the nightmares, all of the anxiety. Um, and because we still wrestle with that question whenever anything goes wrong, you know, the the call and response is God is good all the time and all the time God is good, which gets heavier and harder to when you are facing a real battle that you don't know exactly how it's going to go or if everything is going to be okay. And um, so anyways, it was, it was really moving to me uh, to hear that. Not for nothing. Um, I loved your conversation about frailty and the lighthouse in that because frailty has been one of my favorite movies for years and years. And you actually, yeah, God, I love frailty, but you actually helped improve my uh, assessment of the lighthouse because I felt like when I watched the lighthouse, I found it sort of obliquely compelling. I spilled my beans. I did. Yeah. I just spilled your beans. <laughs> but I found it, I found it sort of like compelling in, in a sort of way, but you articulated some things that I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is a lot of what Eggers has on his mind in this and uh, made me compelled to want to go revisit that film. But anyway, I just, I just loved it, man. I, I, I really appreciate the so work much. you put into it. Yeah, yeah of course. I, I, I think your, your, con your discussion about why we worship is, is so, uh, I don't know, so meaningful, so good. Mm -hmm. um, we, we always have so many complicated reasons for worshiping. Sure. Yeah. Never, never just one. I think there's a lot going on there, and the more yeah. of those things we can name, the more of those reasons we can articulate, the the more meaningful the experience can be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, something that, yeah. um, if I may, the the please one I, I find 
Brandon in lurking under the surface, just this real kind of compassionate matter of factness. Uh, mm-hmm. If I can say that, like there's a real lack of a lack of a defensive posture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciate that because, you know, I think something that six years of doing this has, has really just kind of opened my eyes to is just, um, not that there aren't things to be afraid of in the world, sure. but that most of the times the things we're afraid of are not the things that are worth being afraid of in the world. Mm. And there's a certain sobriety that can come when you're weirdos like us who enjoy the type of material we enjoy because, because it really defangs and you start to be able to see the seams of like, okay, you know, we, we enjoy the watching of horror material because it incites excitement or, or anxiety or, or, you know, is this means of coping. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I just really appreciate a non-defensive inroad to just say like, this is just, it's just another, like I loved earlier, your reference in the Phineas uh, uh, sort of um, comparison of just like, this is just a form of story, right? It's just, it's a yeah. form. It is not itself a thing you should live in fear of. <laughs> and by the way, that thing there in the real is the thing you should be afraid of or, you know, should be as a, as a relative phrase there. But, you know, we stumbled a few weeks, a few weeks, a few months ago, at this point, we were covering the film, the monster squad. It was a, a, a recommended one from one of our listeners and, and, you know, it's, it's kitschy and, and dated, but a, a rather profound takeaway we kind of had in the real was just, it's people who are most versed in this, who are then able to look out at the world and say, well, this is the analog. Like, why are you not seeing it person who is not versed in this? Um, and so I just really appreciate in lurking under the surface, the, the, the willingness to not treat it as a less than form and just say, here's, here's a means of, of, of sort of, um, examination. I, I do want to share what was probably, uh, and this will be brief. One of my, uh, probably, probably the most relatable moment in your, in the book, lurking under the surface, you're talking about, uh, the experience of your parents uh, leaving you for a weekend and how you watched Tales from the Crypt Marathon. And this, yes, this is the most relatable thing in the world. It's been a long time since I've read a line in a book that made me feel like I'm seen because you say, rather than inviting friends over, I made a canister of Pillsbury cinnamon rolls and proceeded to eat the entire batch. Yep. while i watched this marathon i was like yep. brandon we, we are one <laughs> we could have had two two tins of pillsbury and each had our own yeah <laughs> oh my god, god. i so got to that part i laughed out loud i was like oh my god I, i've never felt more seen by a book it's I, it's like the never-ending story right now like you're like a tray you or bastion say my name i was like I, i'll eat them i'll come in there with you yeah that was hilarious Um, so so thank you for lurking into the surface i'm excited to try to get into some of these other works and and uh you know maybe we'll we'll do some book clubbing down the road but Mm -hmm. do we feel like answering the phone fellas let's let's do it it's ringing it's happening now about this movie so it is time to uh talk about the black phone and uh we try to at least give a cursory summary by way of Apple movies and 
the black phone features Finney, a shy but clever 13-year-old boy abducted by a sadistic, a sadistic killer played by Ethan Hawke and trapped in a soundproof basement where screaming is of little use. When a disconnected phone on the wall begins to ring, Finney discovers that he can hear the voices of the killer's previous victims, and they are dead set on making sure that what happened to them does not happen to Finney. It is Scott Derrickson's The Black Phone. Um, we like to sort of start with just kind of a round table of first impressions. You know, had you seen it more than once? Did you had you read the book going in? So, Brandon, naturally, I'm going to come to you first as our guest. Like, you know, were you aware of this material? Were you following along? You know, did you go in minimally uh, uh, acclimated? What, what was your first experience watching the movie like? So, yeah, I um, recently read Joe Hill's 20th Century Ghosts, I think, I'd read that early last year. And then soon after that, heard that the black phone was being made into a, made into a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for my money, 20th century ghosts is one of the best horror short story books of the last decade or so. It's really, really good. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and then I also came in as a fan of Scott Derrickson, or at least hoping that he could recapture what, what he had in, in sinister and um, exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, you know, Dr. Strange was fine, but I'm kind of superheroed out by this point. And his other horror movie, Deliver Us from Evil, was I really wanted to like it, but it was not. Um, it was, yeah, it was not not my favorite. So I was hoping for a return to form because I, I love Sinister. I talk about that one in Lurking mm-hmm. as one of the movies that yeah. really scared me as an adult. Um, I came into I I mean first of all I should say I enjoyed the hell out of it I think it's mm-hmm. as a movie it is the pacing is is excellent um, it's brutal and dark and in ways that are for the most part I think good although I, some problematic things that I'll want to talk about I'm sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I felt like for the most part the ways that it expanded on the short story were interesting if it, it made it into a different kind of horror story but but worthwhile and ethan hawk's performance was just so much fun i mean really man ethan hawk and jack nicholson blended together into to this one performance um yeah great Mm -hmm. that's awesome Um, so i've seen it maybe four times by now i watched it recently with my my 13 year old who for a while said it was his favorite movie he thought it was he told me it was exactly the right amount of scary wow of intense and then I, I he had some friends over the other day and i mentioned i was going to do this podcast and we were going to talk about black phone they were they were all like oh yeah, that's scary <laughs> but i was trying to think of like when i was 13 what movies had that kind of reputation for me um mm. i was wondering about something uh, this will show my age but i was wondering about like nightbreed and Candyman as being kind oh of wow the ones that were that's maybe just a little bit more than i should be watching but yeah those those stick with you so uh, yeah Wondering if from the younger generation, Black Phone is developing that kind of a reputation. Mm. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Oh, that's fascinating. What about you, Reed? So, um, Black Phone, I, I missed it in the theater, uh, but it was, as is the case these days when I am interested in something and haven't had the chance to go see it in the theater, it was priority viewing when it hit streaming. Um, so, when it was released on streaming, I uh, queued it up that afternoon and, and just kind of made it priority viewing. I've I've loved Derrickson's work ever since friggin' Hellraiser Inferno of all crazy things, um, and so yeah, and so I've 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 been interested in him. 
Um, Sinister, as we've all said, is one of, and this is not hyperbole, it is one of the scariest films that has ever been made. Like in pure, in pure terror capacity, Sinister has the goods. Um, so when I watched Black Phone and found a more meditative, a more a less jumpy, a more sort of uh, sequential, obviously, Ethan Hawke is, as we've said, like he's super creepy in the film, but the film doesn't go for the throat in the same way that Sinister does. And so in that sense, I walked away going like, well, I, I mean, I like, I don't find anything I disliked about it, but I didn't have the energy around it when I, when I walked away from it, where I was just kind of like, I mean, I can't point to much I didn't like, but I wasn't very energized by it, which was a little downbeat from what I was hoping to achieve, as is often the case with me. Uh, many times I will see a film, I will either love it or I won't. And the real proof of the pudding is, am I still thinking about it a couple of days later? Is it, has it, you know, percolated somewhere that it keeps interjecting in my other thoughts? And Black Phone did. Black Phone kept sort of like poking its head in mostly around Ethan Hawke's performance. Um, but it did sort of keep charging in of like, okay, there, there is something here that's interesting. So I was really excited to revisit it happy to report that this revisitation did elevate my esteem for it. And I think I was just a little bit more ready to receive what it had to offer as opposed to what I had originally expected it to give me from the first viewing. And so I actually found there's a couple of scenes that I'll mention that I actually uh, genuinely teared up uh, where I was literally like, wow, I, I, I was not expecting, I'm just sitting here watching a movie that I've seen before. I was not expecting that moment to grab me and i was like i'm i'm really moved and hmm. so i'll have some thoughts about that when we I get to choosing thematics but um but it was just um yeah i was i, I have a stronger appreciation for it i'm in i'm i still find it curious and interesting that people are calling it supremely scary it might be a function of just how much scary stuff i watch <laughs> that i did not find it that scary i found the concept of course very scary but in the watching of it, especially compared to something like Sinister, I found it kind of lightweight in terms of nightmarishness, but was surprised how uh, moved I was by what it had to offer in some of its interior. And I have read the short story. It's, it's pretty faithful in the major beats to the short story. But to your point, Brandon, expands on it in ways that I think intensify the emotional heft of it. Uh, and I find greater, particularly around the dad, like the dad's not in the story at all. Um, so, so that, uh, I think adds some emotional gravity to it that I appreciate. And, uh, yeah, we can get into more of that when we get into the deep thematics, but what's your, what's your feelings on it? Nathan? It's interesting Reed. you, you mentioned that because the, or the comparison between the, the, the short and the film, because I think what got expanded is a lot of Derrickson personal stuff, like mm -hmm. just reading a lot of the behind the scenes stuff or, you know, interviews, whatever, like a lot of it is infused with he lived next to someone who got abducted, you know, a kid and, and, you know, just living through the early seventies of some of these analogs, uh, real world analogs to what Ethan Hawke represents in the film. Um, I might need a third on, on the black <laughs> phone. Like mm. I love Scott Derrickson as a, as a storyteller. Like, I think he's very soulful. I think he's generally a wavelength. I appreciate and, and kind of, empathize with um i i adore ethan hawk um what's funny is 
this occasionally comes up in our dalliances with King on the show of how sometimes I get tired of King's supernaturalism. Um, and so when I went to see the black phone, I didn't know anything at all other than just the initial trailer and to my memory, whatever trailer I'd seen or whatever advanced promotion I'd seen had not played this card yet. So I wasn't prepared for kind of the supernatural aspect to it. And it threw me, I was like, huh, I wasn't planning on that, which is my fault, but <laughs> I don't really know if I like it, that, that aspect, which thematically it totally works. I'm not arguing that point, uh, but just it's got such a gritty, grimy vibe to it in general that 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 swerve was something I didn't expect. Um, so a second viewing in, I am I am firmly a appreciator of Black Phone. Um, I think they found something incredibly powerful in the design of the mask and not just the design of the mask, but the function of its continued iter iterative nature. Uh, that's just an incredible design choice. Um, Hawk in that character is fantastic. It okay. I'll frame it this way: watching the film, The Black Phone, it feels like this is an adaptation of a short story. Meaning, I kind of wanted a little more like there, there. Uh, like the design choices for Hawk are so strong. I, that's cool and fascinating to me. And so, some of that I feel like I, I wish I'd gotten a little more of. Again, actually, I, I like it. Uh, I'm not firmly in the love it camp. And I could sort of see where, to your point, Brandon, like it is. the And, and in fact, the minute you said uh, a, a younger generation responding to it, I thought, Reed, what you just said, which is, am I to uh, uh, expose at this point to really be uh, a victim of its of its excesses, you know, in a way that someone who's watching that afresh or who isn't really into this genre that much is like, oh, my God. Did you see the devil mask on that guy in that movie about, you know, uh, a child abductor that that sentence is scary as hell. Right. Like, sure. <laughs> yes. so yeah. so it kind of works on those levels. Um, you know, I, I am interested to see kind of where some of our thematic conversation takes us. Are we good to head to the to the that ain't right? Why don't we go to that? Ain't right. Yeah, that's good. Let's do it because it is now. Brandon, it's your first time. Time for the part of the show where we discuss things that aren't just wrong, but of which might be said that ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. Okay, it is time when, like, here, whatever quibbles I might have about the black phone. It's got some scary bits to it. So, you know, Brandon, I want you to start. Uh, okay. uh, we encourage you make your list of that ain't right notes. Uh, if, if you only have one, this is the time to share it. Don't hold back. Don't reserve for us. You're our guest. Uh, so, have, so, yeah, I have one small one and one kind of big thematic one. And I don't know if the thematic one is one to save for later. That's okay for no, now. no, no. Do, do them both. No, do them both. Yeah. We'll come back the to thematics. Yeah. I find that in every one of Derrickson's movies, there's at least one jump scare that just doesn't land. <laughs> um, and in, in the black phone for me, it's when um, Vance is the, the kind of bully ghost kid, right? Yes. Um, so it, so it's when he, he's coming, you know, the, I, I guess I, I am of kind of ambivalent about the, 
the ghost kid showing up and being mm-hmm. present other than his voices just in general. But I thought for Vance in particular, he comes close to, to Finney and then starts yelling at his ear and then gets like pulled back into, yeah. uh, I don't know yeah. where. Mm-hmm. Not like that must have looked better on paper than it actually looked <laughs> on the celluloid because I, I felt like that just it really didn't didn't stick sure nah, sure um so what would, you, what would yeah go ahead oh just uh, some small things like that that um didn't didn't sit quite right but more than that what i'm i'm most troubled by is so i know it's it's joe hill and stephen king and they have to have this valorization of boyhood and you know, Stephen King has said that he thought the story Black Phone was like Stand By Me in Hell. Um, I thought it was more like It, but the Losers Club is all all ghosts. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. How, however yeah. you want to want to put it, it's it's the same kind of romanticization of boyhood. Mm-hmm, and sure. and part of the romanticization, I saw it in Black Phone, I see it in It, um, it's in Stand By Me too, is um, this relationship between bullying, which we all know is a real problem with I mean, we we all probably had experiences from that growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the ethos behind it in Black Phone is, uh, you know, it comes from Robin right in the beginning that you got to punch the bully and make him bleed because the crowd wants to see blood. And then you got to punch him over and over and over so that mm-hmm. the next bully gets the message that they can't do that. Right. And then, you know, by the end, Finney has learned to do this and takes that advice to heart for how he handles the grabber and mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. becomes a man and because it takes on the name of Finn and, you know, woos the girl at the end and all that. <laughs> uh, so, so there's this, this whole ethos of violence that you, the way you handle bullies is by punching them in the nose over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. That's, it's troubling. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I just, I, I leave it there that I'm, I'm troubled by it. Yeah. That's we'll definitely, right. yeah. We'll definitely revisit that one. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, Nathan, you want to go next or you want me to? Um, um, yeah, I, I already name checked one thing that I won't come back to this production related in case you do it. I'll, I'll name it as another, if you don't mention it, but, um, I think in terms of just pure, like unexpected, that ain't right. Is when Gwen hits the kid with the rock in the head and he's scooching up towards the chain link fence and it blood just is like pouring down the side of his cranium. I mean, it's. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just nasty. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, did she? It's it's almost too much, if only because and what I mean by that, because I was like, oh, did she just like kill him? Like, what what have we just done to this child, which arguably might, quote unquote, deserve it in the moment? I'm I'm not arguing that, you know, we, we let him continue what he's doing. But she, I mean, she literally clocks him with a rock in the head yeah. and. You know, that kid's probably got, you know, uh, uh, a TBI at this point and, uh, you know, is going to suffer the rest of his life. But, you know, felt the same way about the rock fight in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, This is perhaps a heavy one. I mean, I could. I could mention in brief just the 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 you mentioned the jump scare that didn't land for you, Brandon. The one that did for me, because I had somehow completely forgotten it is freaking floating girl ghost in the corner that one grabbed me this time like i was like oh, okay i completely forgot about that moment uh that one just just had me jacked up but um my that ain't right is of course the the scene where gwen's dad is is mm-hmm. responding yeah. to her about 
the cops having come to his work and he's not listening to her and he's not, he doesn't even understand why they came to his work. He presumes so much about what she's done. And that, that whole scene I did read, did like the tiniest a bit of, of, of looking behind the scene stuff. Um, and I did read that, that he was asked to cut that scene. He was asked to yeah. Derrickson was asked to remove that scene and he uh, he said he wasn't pressured to do so, though. Like they asked him to take it out, and he left it in on purpose because he said what he's doing in that moment is not even illegal. Now, he's not justifying. Like, Derrickson's right, comment right. wasn't justifying. He was like, no, 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 we're not going to shy away from this like because that's like, look at how uncomfortable you feel. And that's, you know, not viewed as something that should not be done, at least in, you know, legal respective senses. And it is a very stomach-churning kind of moment. Um where she's just begging and pleading in tears. She's great. She's great. Gwenny is one of my favorite characters of the last year of of films, a slate of films. Like she's wonderful. Not just Mm -hmm. again, that prayer moment that you invoked at the top, which I'm like, you, you felt seen in Brandon's book. Like I felt seen. (laughs) My God, I felt so seen when she prayed that prayer. Um, and but I think too, just the character has um a gravity, a a, a heft that uh, you know, is is mature for her age, even, but uh, that I found really, really compelling. One of a couple of emotional moments that I had uh was in her self-questioning of like, oh my god, like are you not even real? Like when she's praying because she hasn't received a dream and she wants one and something like She's trying to navigate something. Uh, I'll sh- I'll probably share more about that when we get into thematics. But I just Gwenny Gwenny really elevated the film for me uh, in this viewing round. I loved her the first time through. I was like, man, what a great character! But this time around, like so much of what she contributes to this story, just completely elevated a lot of what was there for me uh, in this material. So that having been said, my that ain't right is when Jeremy Davies in. I mean. Applause to the performance because it's it's committed on his part uh, when he in a some in a somewhat drunken stupor is beating her with a belt because he's convinced that she's done something to make the police come to his uh, to his work. It's just it was it's very stomach nodding and and deeply uncomfortable and certainly ain't right in the heavy sense. Yeah, strangely, I don't actually have that written on my that ain't right though. I would totally agree with you. In fact, the honorable mention I was going to say is just the design of the mask. Like it's just mm-hmm. it, it's pretty epic. You know, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. And it's just a clown in the story. That's all it is. He's, he's right. A clown. That's what I was about to yeah. say is reading some of those behind the scenes. They they knew because of the success of it. And Hill even says he's like, I wasn't consciously thinking of it at all when I wrote this. That's just such a, you know, John Wayne Gacy style, whatever, which is what sure. the grabbers uh, a bit of an emulation of. And and so when they went to develop it for the film, they're like, we just can't do that. Like, it's you can't. <laughs> so it resulted in this pretty insanely epic uh, design choice with the mask and him being an illusionist or a magician. Um, any other, that ain't right. Notable mentions, honorable mentions. I'm good. That good. has been the part of the conversation with Brandon about black phone, where we talk about things that aren't just wrong, but of which might be said. That ain't right. That sure as hell ain't right. Um, I'm going to preempt us real quick because okay. I know we've, we've all got, or I know the two of you have 
uh, thematics you want to address. And I want to preempt only because Brandon, what you were saying about the valorization note that, that culminated in, um, you know, the bully aspect as I was sort of looking for thematic ideas here and I am preempting because I'm putting out in the air, I'm not emotionally attached enough to this concept or the movie to, to, and sort of am welcoming, well, Hey, Nathan, that I actually don't see it that way. And I, I'm, I'm sort of inviting and or welcoming that because as I was rewatching it this time, really looking for, okay. Uh, ignoring my sort of whatever's about the supernatural aspect. What is, what is, what is the film saying? What, what is, what is going on here? And I don't disagree at all. It's, it's layered with that masculine valorization conceit and, and, and there's perhaps some, you know, kind of an, that, that an overused trope there, but, but while I don't love, I think, I think Robin is excessive on the particular bully that scene and subsequent power abuse moments that happen. Uh, I'll shorten it up to this. What I suddenly saw this time around was, was less a, you know, isn't boyhood awesome and being a boy awesome as much as it was, okay, what is the relationship between power and violence? And, and, and which isn't to say that the boyhood thing isn't present. It clearly is. But sure. if I were trying to universalize it a little bit, that actually rung out to me. I was like, okay, the reason, and, and I kind of wish this was in the back matter about the Jeremy Davies beating Gwen scene, because to me, the value of the scene isn't, well, you're, you're not wrong. Reed, you, you reiterate, you mentioned the, it's not illegal. The, the value of the scene isn't it's uncomfortable makes it squirm it's here's another example of a power structure abusing one below yeah. you know and so yeah. one thing i actually really loved honestly and and if i think too hard and talk too long about might get emotional over was robin's kind of thematic note to finn uh he said you might have been afraid to throw a punch but you were never afraid to take one yes. and get back up yeah, because like, you know, I watch a, a movie like this or or others that have this thread of masculinity to them. And I'm like, I'm not I, um, if we ever meet in public, Brandon, I'm six two, I'm large, I'm I'm broad shouldered. People are like, oh, you play football or something. No, I don't even know. I'm not I'm, I'm garbage at throwing a football. You know, I'm just not the violent type. You know, it is just not in me. And and if and if anything, I am more prone to take blows uh, emotionally, psychologically over life and time than I am to deliver them. And so there's a world where that uh, note from Robin was actually kind of ministering to me. It's like, you aren't a coward, yeah. right? You, you aren't one. You, you may not be one willing and wanting and open and thinking it's okay or right to send a punch, but you damn sure know how to take one. And once you do, you know how to, come up come away from it you know yeah. might not be unscathed but you you will show the the one who who did the punching that there's more to it than this and so i kind of loved that part of it here and so even though i just propped it up as this real emotional thing all i was trying to do by preempting both of you wasn't to steal thunder it was more to just say i agree there's kind of this, like, I'm tired of like, oh, aren't boys awesome, <laughs> you know, and here's the code 
the cheat code on how to be a man in American society. Uh, you know, so that kind of stuff I can totally do without, but in this conversation of, because, because violence, uh, uh, from the dad to Gwen, uh, or at the end it's, you know, one could say Finn abuses the grabber at the end. It's like, well, he is literally on the, on the underside of the power structure here. And so mm-hmm. violence from underside, is it different? We can, we can parse that theologically all we want than violence from topside. Uh, and so that is an interesting conversation to me and I'll kind of leave it there for, for response. Yeah. I want to defer to Brandon, but just not for nothing. The moment you cited is the second one that I, that so, so her Gwenny's, uh, I don't think she's called Gwenny in the movie, but like, uh, Gwen's no, Finny and Gwen, Finny and Gwen, but, um, but Gwen's, um, personal wrestling with her own individual faith is one thing I found moving. The other thing was exactly what you just described. The idea of strength in the face of, of uh, something I, I read, I remember a quote that was attributed to Gandhi. It absolutely does not sound like Gandhi. 100% does not sound like Gandhi. I do <laughs> not think Gandhi said this, but it's the, uh, I've tried to find out who said this quote and I do not know who said this quote. Um, but there, there was something that I once heard attributed to Mahatma Gandhi, where he talks about Christ's uh, dictum to us to turn the other cheek and talked about it in the sense of a call to courage, that we are meant to show courage, that the, the turning the other cheek is not about absolving violence and it's not about permission to abuse. It's showing courage and and it. It encapsulated in the film, The Black Phone, knowing how to take a punch and stand there and say, you have not won. You have not beaten me. It is. It, it resonates in my mind, something that I've mentioned before of the figure, the image the scriptures give us of the bloody, beaten, uh, severely afflicted and wounded Christ standing in front of Pontius Pilate and saying, you have no power over me. Like it is the, the visage, the visual image is not uh, indicative of a typical power dynamic. But saying like, no, you you don't have the power over me. Like, do what you will to this body. Do what you must d- to exercise yourself. But you you will not overtake me, which I find really compelling. Anyway, sorry, I I said I was going to be brief, and then I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go go no, I, ahead, those Brent. Are, those are really beautiful points and beautiful readings, and I think those are all there. And then I I also feel like the movie is undercutting that message at the same time mm. that it's delivering it. Mm-hmm. Um, through that that early scene with Robin beating the bully yeah. and then punching him over and over and over in the face. Um, yeah. that, that scene of Gwen hitting the guy with, in the head with the rock. Yeah. Um, and then even in that, that final speech of Robin's um, over the phone, which is really quite moving, but mm-hmm. he still has to, to bring in, you know, just like my dad did in Vietnam, we're not going to leave each other behind that, yeah. that um, this, this kind of, of, really, really close compassion for one another still gets grafted onto the military imagery. Mm-hmm. And sure. And we're, we're back in this world where we're standing up for your friends as boys is just like being soldiers. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so I, I really, I, I feel like the movie in, in some ways wants to have it both ways that it is looking yep. at that really, really beautiful idea of taking a punch and how you can reverse the power dynamics. But then it also says, we want to show, you got to show the crowd some blood mm-hmm. yeah yeah well let me ask yeah. you do do you like because i'm totally with you on the robin bully part at the front and and even the second viewing 
I was like, damn, that's, 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 you know, it, it feels in text indulgent, not just, yeah. you know, character indulgent. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. It feels meta textually indulgent. Sure. Uh, the, the one with Gwen, it's, it's alarming because of the kind of outcome. Would you say what you see there, the error isn't have Gwen defend Finn as much as it's just the, the excessive nature of it. Like what, what would the, I I would say the excessive nature of it. And then it's hard not to read that in conjunction with the excessive nature of what we've just seen Robin do a few minutes ago. Sure. Mm -hmm. Those, those kind of, kind of pile on top of each other. And I think because of, of Robin beating the bully on the ground, I'm already primed to, to look for that. Um, Yeah. 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 Well, and it, there's, there is a troubling aspect i've always been troubled by it i'm i'm i've never been the guy who's going to win a fight i might and i and i don't say this lightly and i i sure don't say it arrogantly i might be the guy who can endure so i might i might be the one who can withstand I'm not going to be the one who's who's going to be the more powerful in the dynamic. You know, I, I I may have the 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 lasting nature of it, and that's something that I had a really really clunky. One thing you, you may or may not know, Brandon, we established this as a as kind of a one of our go to sayings thesis for the show uh, from episode one um, is that we explore, we don't explain. So there's the freedom in the dialogue to step into some boxes that you don't have fully formed yet and to say some things that, you know, maybe even in the moment you might find yourself disagreeing with. Um, But something that did stand out to me about, I'll say the subject and then I'll say what I drew from it, this second viewing wasn't there at all in my first time through, but these children, um, Finn is the sixth, I believe. Uh, victim of the grabber um, five didn't didn't make it and and Finn is hearing their stories now one thing that's kind of interesting just for text length uh, if my memory serves it's been a minute but if my memory serves in the short story he only talks to one person on the phone if yeah. if my memory serves and no, you're right and so what stood out to me this time around man this is going to Feel, I'm, I'm a little intimidated by expressing this because I don't know that I would put the full weight of my affirmation behind it, but I'm just going to, I feel safe among friends. So Your I'm friends just going to explore it with you. Yes. Fair so, um, and then there's me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, what, what percolated in my imagination is what scripture talks about the cloud of witnesses. And it was, it was right on the heels of the Hebrew chapter where it talks about the faith and by faith, these great works were done. And then the part that is less preached on is by faith, all these tragedies occurred as well. And the, that chapter of Hebrews does not delineate as to a good or bad version of faith. It says it all happened by faith. And then at the end compels and says, we have a cloud of witnesses who have come before us. And my imagination, as tends to happen with me, just flipping exploded and went into all these different ramifications, social dynamics and and historical dynamics and everything where I talk about like Finn is speaking through this conduit of the black phone. He's speaking to a cloud of witnesses, his own version of a cloud of witnesses. 
of those who would definitely fit, if I'm lacing in Hebrews 11 in the faith chapter, in the second half of that category. Like they did all this. And, and I'm not saying that, you know, that what happened to them was admirable. I'm not, I'm not saying any version of sure. that. But there was something that rung out to me that sometimes faith is not, this is what I wrote down, and this is the clunky thing, that maybe sometimes faith is not merely about action, but about accumulation, that we have reached the fullness of time and that there is a cloud of witnesses that have come before and that maybe now it's not about, about this singular thing or this singular conversation, but that this moment, the fullness of time has now come where now all of these other things that have happened have brought us to a place to where there, there is something that needs to change or something that needs to intervene. Because I keep coming back to that phrase, the fullness of time. Like now... This is, this is not you know, meant to diminish the fictional victims of the grabber, but the grabber's time is done. His number is up. The time has come because Finn has this full cloud of witnesses who, in their way, are going to empower him to stop this, this force. And I found, I, again, I might be expressing it in a clunky way, but I found that really compelling when we think about the, the tragedies that have happened to a number of people who did not hold the power throughout legions of history. They did not hold the power. And it provided me a sensibility of hope that maybe the fullness of time will forthcome where the cloud of witnesses before, whose tragic stories are now fully in the hands of God, but there comes a moment where now that wickedness can be put to rest. It can be done. It can be finished. Um, and that I found profoundly moving. Uh, maybe most of it was what I brought to it. I don't know, but I found that uh, deeply encouraging to think like, yeah, um, there's a scripture, Brandon, you're the, you're the professor. You would oh. know this better than I do, but, uh, but no, there's a scripture <laughs> where, Jeez, where it's, no, 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 I'm just, I'm not trying to put him on the spot, but I feel I, what I can't remember in this moment is I can't remember if this is actual biblical text or if this is, um, creative narrative commentary that has emerged from it. But the, the, the statement that stands out to my mind is Pharaoh's days are numbered. I don't know if that's actual text of the scripture, but the, the concept of Pharaoh's days are numbered. And this idea, when we look at all of the troublesome things that are taking place around us and the, I'm going to say it literally, the bodies that have been just churned under, you know, image bearers of God, people whose lives do not deserve to be a statistic or a diminishment, but I don't see them that way. And I'm trying very hard not to express them that way, where it's like, no, 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 that's not a number, but it is an accumulation in the idea of like, Pharaoh's time will come to an end. Substitute out Pharaoh with however you will. Okay. I've said and, that. and that maybe you can do some small thing in your life that can contribute to that. Yes. Um, yes. That was to me, that's one of the really moving and beautiful things about the movie is this idea that that each of these victims brought something that mm -hmm. they were they were able to offer. Um, and the, yes. the the kind of the narrative conceit of the black phone allowed them to to you know uh, move that forward beyond their life. But but yeah. that each of them had some small piece that, when brought together, they were able to mm -hmm. uh, assist Finn in in bringing yeah. an end to Pharaoh's time. And that, yeah. that each of them in their lives had made this contribution. And that's a really beautiful idea that maybe maybe each of us can do that. Maybe the people who have gone before us can do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, it makes and, me think, Reed, of your note about 
knock at the cabin, I think this question of, or rather statement of the sacrifice itself, isn't a good, mm-hmm. but a good can bear fruit out of the sacrifice. Yeah. Yes. And, that's, and, yeah. and that may seem like, I know not to the three of us, but that may seem like to some, a distinction without a difference, but I think the difference is incredible between mm-hmm. those two things, you know, that somehow we it, can, because I, 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 you, you see this happen all the time in the real. It's like, well, see, it was good that that happened. Like, well, no, I, no, I don't it think wasn't. that's the point, you know? <laughs> yeah. We, we should be, um, what would you say, discerning enough to be able to distinguish yeah. between that was not a good thing that happened, but that was something good that came out of it. Yes. Um, and I, I yeah. mean, that that's, goes right back we to We should be discerning enough, Brandon. We that's should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. This is Joseph, and when when he finally reveals himself to his brothers, um, yeah, yeah, for evil, but God used it for good. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't mean yeah. it was good; it means somehow something good came out of it. And that's been something that I've found. I, I, I may have even cited this on the show before, but get, I mean, getting getting real personal. Um, that's a fundamental way that I see God. It's 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 a it's an integral construct of my imagining of God is I can't explain all of the other things that have happened. There is a drumbeat in me that believes in his redemptive power enough to know that in, as I'll keep describing it in the fullness of time, that God will be able to take all of this mess and have such a redemptive capacity over it that (laughs) Nathan, to your point, was it good that that happened? No, it wasn't good that that happened, but that's just I'm, uh, perhaps putting on preacher hat a bit. Don't necessarily mean to, but uh, no, it wasn't good that that happened, but that's just how good God's redeeming power is that he's so good at turning something fruitful out of it that you would think there was no other way it could have happened. Yeah, there were a million other ways that it could have happened. It didn't have to come that way. It could have come this way or this way or this way, but that's the capacity of God's redemptive power. Again, that's the undercurrent drumbeat of my my uh theological construct in that sense but yeah it's um yeah it's i feel like i've talked a lot and i i I feel they i feel the need to apologize one one of my (laughs) favorite one of my favorite moments in the movie is um so i think it was was vance the kind of um what would you say kind of miscreant of a of a kid the harsh arcade kid who tells yeah, him to dig, mm-hmm. dig through the wall and that he can, mm-hmm. he can get into the freezer that way. Or so mm-hmm. he, he, he digs through and he breaks into the back of the freezer and he can't get anywhere. He's stuck. You know, he is. Yeah. So I, I'm the first time through, I'm thinking, well, this kid was a no good kid and gave him a dead end. Oh, um, wow. But it's mm-hmm. not until finally at the end when, okay, he's dispatched the grabber and now the dog is there and we've got the meat from the freezer that has been yeah. in the mm-hmm. hallway that he's able to throw there that even, even this piece is, redeemed integral yeah Yeah, is integral to it and i liked how because that kid it's it's one of the weaker aspects of the movie but i did appreciate that that kid i think finn directly asks him at one point like why are you helping me and he's like this is not about you this is about screw him yeah Yeah, he's like this is not about you this is and that also fed my idea about the you know the accumulation factor we have such a desire i think most of us have a desire to myth make in the sense that we want to, you know, to, we all want to be the Luke Skywalkers of, of the story, uh, you know, or uh, we'll settle for C-3PO sometimes, but like, we really want to be integral as a, as a hero. Uh, 
when the reality is that it that it is bigger than any singular piece of the puzzle, um, which I find comforting. Maybe other people find it um, diminishing or troubling, but I, I find it I find it incredibly comforting to know that I am minuscule in the universe and everywhere else, but not meaningless. Minuscule does not mean pressure off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just to know like, oh, okay. Jupiter it's couldn't care less. Me. Oh, good. Okay. That's, I don't have to fix it all. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so very true. So very true. Um, in that spirit of, hey, I've talked a lot, uh, Brandon, Nathan, is there anything more that, uh, you know, either in contrast to that or something, something else that you want to bring to the table about the movie? This is not a, a thing worth spending a ton of time on, but before I had landed on the, the the throw a punch power balance dynamic thing, something that I I thought about watching it and I, I, well I won't overly qualify um, was one just the I think if I can get on board with any of the fear element of the black phone, it's just the the destabilizing nature of living in a world at all, <laughs> you know that and and so something that I at least pondered uh, was like, is, is this are our, our parents more afraid of this conceit or our kids and I, and I, mm-hmm. or are we finding each other at the fear of this conceit? You know what I mean? Uh, because I just watched it with that in mind of like the, the mountains that parents will move to ensure safety at every turn of their child. And, and, that itself becoming the snake eating its tail uh you know and i don't know just just pondering that notion of like is this more destabilizing as a concept to to people with kids or to kids themselves and just i I don't know it's just a a thing that came to me that the black phone spoke to yeah just throwing it out there no i get it i get it uh brandon any final thoughts before we go to our little rating system i don't know if you're familiar with our rating system but we'll teach you in just a second any final thoughts on the black form can learn quickly. I think the <laughs> question of, of whether parents or kids are, are more afraid is fascinating. My favorite horror movies over the years have been the ones where I've been able to step into both roles as I've grown up. Um, mm-hmm. What jumps to mind immediately is The Shining, where mm-hmm. as a kid, I'm terrified about being chased around by Jack Nicholson with an axe. But as an adult, I'm like, wow, um, you know, a f- wannabe writer who struggles with relationships with his family and isn't convinced that he's anything and blames everybody sure. else. Oh, no. oh man, that's, that's terrifying to think that. I'll work in no play. It makes Brandon a dull boy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> terrifying. Maybe there's a little bit of me in there. That's really scary. Sure. So I, I love those movies that you can grow with. Um, hmm. I, I'm curious to know for people who see black phone as a kid, whether it will have that same kind of an effect that you can grow with it and step into the different roles or not. Um, I think what my my kid and and his friends really respond to is a lot of what we've talked about about being able to to come together and help each other out and find ways to uh, what what would you say really really move from taking a punch to giving a punch um, mm-hmm. find ways to build on the the skills that you have and find strength that you didn't know you had. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. I think for younger viewers that's really moving. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, we have a very specific uh, rating system at the end of the film. So uh, when we cover film, books, media, whatever we cover, 
um, we call it the fog meter. It's the fear and the God meter. So uh, what we do is these, this is not necessarily, the fog meter is not a rating of quality. It's a rating of gravity. It's a rating of heft. So um, the uh, fog meter measures the fear, how scary, terrifying, nightmarish the thing is, and God, how substantive, thoughtful, you know, uh, provocative it is like, you know, what's the substance in, in the film. So, um, Nathan and I will go first on our measurement so you can kind of get a flavor for it. Uh, Nathan, I'm going to come to you first. What would you give the black phone, uh, directed by Scott Derrickson on the fear measurement zero to 10? Um, I mean, I think, I think the, the performance of the design, the performance of Hawk, the design of the grabber, um the con the conceit of a grabber is pretty friggin harrowing mm -hmm. at the same time there are moments when it feels like the design of hawk is in a different movie um mm -hmm. you know because it's so strong and it's so uh, effective but so unique inside yeah. of this particular text um i will give it i'm gonna give it a six okay Cutting right to the chase, I'm going to join you on your six. Uh, I find the concept more frightening than I find the film itself. The idea of what's happening is is truly terrifying. Um, but in the sort of playing out of it, um, the film had less of that like unnerving, unsettling energy, probably except for when Ethan Hawke's on screen. Ethan Hawke brings an energy to it that probably accumulates pretty much every point of my six. But I'll I'll, I'll join you in your in your six, Brandon, zero to 10 on the fear measurement. I'd probably go seven. Um, okay. And I, I agree with you on Ethan Hawke being responsible for at least most of the points, but I would give it a couple mm. of points for the set design. I think mm. the basement is a truly fantastic horror set. Yeah. Um, I love the the look of it. I love the the spatial geography that you get to know through the, the movie and how that develops. Um, mm. I think the design of the basement is really wonderful. Did you catch on that note? Uh, once you read this, a note like this or hear a note like this, you're like, oh, yep, it's totally there. That the design of the basement is intentionally visually patterned off after the sinister uh, mm. visual. The, wow. the branding on sinister with the line across the wall. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, that's, wow. That's that, that, that makes sense. I, I definitely recognize sinister in the opening credits. Um, yeah. Yeah. With that kind of super eight grainy and even the the kind of hauntological glitchy soundtrack mm -hmm. yeah you make me want to watch that I, that I enjoyed yeah <laughs> it has been probably since we covered yeah. it since yeah. i've seen sinister it would it, this might be the My time to dust it off who loved black phone he and i watched mm -hmm. sinister together and he said mid wow <gasps> you wow okay <laughs> wow speaking oh of God. the valorization of boyhood and, and manliness <laughs> in society like <laughs> Your boy's got it. <laughs> the tide has turned. Oh, You're like, this movie God. has left people all over the world just quivering in their seats, man. You know? <laughs> but not you. I, you I tried you to yawned. tell him that, but I... <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yawned through half of it. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, uh, Bagul, but give me a break. <laughs> wow. 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 Sorry. Um, I agree. No, it's okay. So we'll go again uh, on on the God meter. Uh, I'll I'll give you a break, Nathan, to give you a moment to think about it. I'll I'll go first. Like on the God meter, honestly, first time around, I would have probably landed more at a five. My first time around, um, 
maybe I'm to blame for what I brought to it, but what I walked away from it with, which I've largely shared on on this conversation, um, left me with a lot to 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 think about and to ponder. And I think for that end, I'm going to land at a at an eight for the God Meter for that piece of the puzzle. A lot of wrapped up in the Gwen character, a lot of what I expressed about just the the cloud of witness concept and that accumulation uh, really gave me a lot to to think about. And shoot. Half that God meter is going to be that Gwen prayer that I keep going back to, man. Like that's <laughs> so, so, so great. So eight for me on that. Nathan, what would you say? Um, I think I'm just going to give general points for just knowing Derrickson's, you know, general ethos being uh, a, a net positive in this column. Um, there is a world where sometimes I feel like it's the round hole of Derrickson's ethos in the square and the square peg of Hill's narrative, right? That, that are they a perfect fit for each other? They work. Um, you know, there are moments where I think I'm seeing, now I'm seeing ethos. Now I'm seeing narrative, you know, um, the delineation being what it is. So I don't know. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven, just, you know, kind of, I know it's there. I know those, you know, the Gwen character, the, the heartbeat of what's behind it is intending you know, something substantive and thoughtful. So uh, uh, without that, it'd probably be a little lower. Okay. Makes sense. And Brandon, bring us home. What would you give it on the God? I'd, I'd also be at a seven for the God. Mm-hmm. Meter. Um, Gwen, not only, I guess the way her prayers develop over the course of the movie, yeah. I think it mm-hmm. is really fantastic that you can, mm-hmm. can see, yeah, see her moving through these prayers in what seems like a genuine conversation of somebody trying yeah. to figure out what she believes. And and that's yeah. really beautiful. Um yeah. I I I still find its ethos on violence troubling, mm-hmm. but as we've we've seen, there's a lot to discuss about it. So I I I gotta give it points for that. Um, even if it's not maybe as consistent as I wish or doesn't come down on on the final message and if i can say that in air quotes that that i might like um it still is thoughtful and yeah one of those movies i keep coming back to in my head that's awesome no that's great well that means that we give uh the black phone by scott derrickson a seven out of ten on the uh on the fog meter which is a pretty substantive showing um and the simpler question to answer is well maybe simpler is do you recommend people see the black phone uh so brandon as our guest i'll start with you do you recommend that people see the black phone i i always i would want to want to caution it that horror fans absolutely um mm. i also know a lot of people who say you know horror is okay but children in danger i'm not so okay mm. with so sure. Yeah. sure you know what you're getting into um but with yeah. that caveat i would recommend it yeah yeah it makes sense nathan do you recommend it uh yeah with similar echoes i think for me personally it is not it's kind of one of those you tip your hat to the black phone you're like okay you know i, I dig it mm-hmm. i respect it um i uh hawk and the design of the grabber elevate it for me um you know i could see a world where this is uh you know uh one of getting my kids into this stuff uh brandon you're a little further along than i am in their acclamation um but i could see this being one of those possibles and inciting conversation and stuff so so yeah there, there are qualifiers to a full-throated recommendation but yeah it's it's worth checking out uh, I'd echo a lot of what you guys both said. I I firmly recommend it. I don't know how enthusiastically I do because there is the caveat of the child endangerment thing. Um, but uh, but I firmly recommend it. I, I I didn't comment very much on it, but I just think the aesthetics of the film are fantastic. Um, I just think it has a wonderful look, 
And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's very well constructed, very well paced, uh, very well performed. So yeah, I mean, all of that say, I firmly recommend it. So uh, Brandon, this has been fun uh, for us. We really, really hope that you have had a good time. Uh, Absolutely. And we would love for you to come back. We will find an excuse and opportunity to bring you back. Um, listeners, we know our a- excuse and opportunity of word. Oh, that's a, it's, it's coming. coming. It's coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, we are we are having that conversation. I am part of eager, humanity eager. has been uh, judged. <laughs> judged. <laughs> so. Um, uh, listeners, please, please, it's available and out now. Check out Lurking Under the Surface by Brandon Grafius. It is an excellent, excellent book. Cannot recommend enough for people who are interested in what we do here at the show. Uh, and, and I think you'll find it eminently recommendable to all your friends as well. Um, so, Brandon, thank you so much again for sharing your time with us and your thoughts. Um, and listeners, next week, we are going to be going to another film that was in your top 10 of horror, which is a still list that is yet to be revealed, but we'll reveal it at the end of the series. Uh, we're gonna, we, we've talked about Robert Eggers on this show. Uh, we're going to the Northmen. We are heading back to the old Norse village uh, for a lot of uh, the needs, <laughs> needing some subtitles kind of kind of vibe. Um, and so we are going back there uh, next week. We will also be joined by uh, another special guest, friend of the show. Um, so please check us out there. As we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you again, Brandon. Nathan, thank you again. Listeners, thank you as always. And we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting the fear of God for links to our social media and episode archive essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash the fear of God podcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.